Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. So I, I know that I've um, talked about some of this stuff a couple of times, and, and for those that <clears throat> are sick of hearing about the British in World War II, I'm, I'm just so sorry. Uh, I can't help myself um, uh, because as I, as I just study um, this, through this series and hearing the words of Jesus, I, I get these vivid images in my head and, <clears throat> and, and these like amazing moments in history are, 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 you know, playing out as I see Jesus talking about them. So, so I'm sorry, but hopefully, hopefully you can, you can tolerate this because this week we're back to the Battle of Britain. And um, it's, it's a terrifying period in history. Uh, and the, the days are tem- tended to be called the Blitz. Um, the Blitz took place uh, during 1940, 1941. See, the Germans wanted to, uh, to bomb the British into surrender. And, and so they started these, these nighttime bombings over the whole country. Uh, they, they were bombing during the day, too, a little more strategically. But... Um, these, these nighttime bombings were, were almost completely just to terrorize and frighten the people because there's something absolutely frightening about hearing the sound of planes and hearing the sounds of the bombs falling uh, and not being able to see anything. And so there's a, there's a couple of pictures that I've included uh, up here. And you can see uh, there, that's a city block that was just, you know, nighttime bombing, just totally destroyed for no strategic reason. It just, it just happened. Um, that is a picture of, of German bombers flying over London. You can see a stadium there, kind of in the middle. That's West Ham uh, Stadium. And during the day, they could see a little bit more. And then there's probably this image that's, that's familiar uh, to you um, of, of London burning. And you can just kind of see some of the, the city, uh, cityscape there through the flames. Um, so so the, this bombing was, was, was terrible and, and scary, and, and the British said, hey, we've got we to do something. And they decided to fight the, the nighttime bombings with darkness. So, so they decided, hey, let's make everything dark. 
um, the whole island would go dark, in fact. And so there would be no lights anywhere. Maybe the, the Germans wouldn't even know where to bomb if they, couldn't, you know, if they couldn't see anything. And so everyone got you know, these blackout curtains that were required for your house. Anything that had light was covered. So they turned off all street lights. You know, anything that showed any kind of light, they would, they would build a cover for it. Um, and they did this quickly. But there was a problem Life is really hard in the dark. Life is really hard in the dark, and especially a, a place like London. And, it, and at one point, there were so many accidents uh, that, that the people who died as a result of the dark were more than the people who had died as a result of, of these nighttime bombings. And so, um, so they said, we've got to fix this. And so there's a couple of pictures that, I, that I've got of, of their solution. And they said, let's just paint anything that might be an obstruction. And so quickly throughout London, they had to, anything that had a curb, anything that had stairs, they just had to paint them so that in, when it was completely black, you could differentiate and say, okay, there's steps there, there's a curb there. Um, they fitted all the cars with these special covers for their headlights, there, so they only pointed down so that things from above wouldn't be able to see, uh, see these cars, because they still had to drive at night. And so... Um, this is a famous place. That is Piccadilly Circus. Um, I don't know how well you can see. That is what it looks like in the night with a still photography. And so people had these little flashlights and lanterns that they were only allowed to show, shine down. And so that's kind of what you can see on the sidewalks. And then the circus there was at the thing in the middle. And those are the, those are the headlights of cars that were, that were pointed down over this kind of slow image. Um, I think there's... So this is what it used to look like. This was the same, the same place. And you can see there were, there were signs everywhere. My favorite is the one that says, Guinness time. Guinness is good for you. Uh, it gives you strength. So if, if any of you are a Guinness fan, there's your sign. Um, Guinness gives you strength. Just a recommend, book recommendation if you do. There's a, there's a book called God and Guinness that is a really interesting book. Uh, you can ask me about it later if you want to know more. But... Um, they had to learn how to live in the dark. Um, so the, the, what they realized was that the darkness had this terrible effect on people. And, and they, weren't, they weren't doing well. The city was declining rapidly. And, and there's, there's all kinds of books uh, out there about how the crime went up in London in the dark. There's, there's really weird books about crime in the dark of London. And, and there was kind of this underground city of, we'll just call them illicit activities, uh, that began in London because of the dark. Because when there was, there was dark, there, was a, there, was, there were secrets and there was crime. So, and, and on the other side of this, there are descriptions of the toll that it took on the German pilots. Um, they, would, they would cross the English Channel and there would be nothing but black. Nothing but black. And, and, and it was kind of this eerie feeling of just flying in total darkness and not being able to see anything. And, and they would try to find anything to bomb, anything they could find a light. They said, well, there's got to be something there. Let's, let's bomb that. They were craving guidance from the light, if you will. And, and I'm sure many of you have flown on a plane at night. Um, and it's, it's kind of... Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a weird feeling. And if you're familiar with, with where you're flying, you can kind of know where you're going based on, oh, I know, I bet that town is whatever, and I bet that's, that's where that is. I, I can kind of know. Um, you can keep your bearings by, by city lights. 
If, if you've ever flown over Chicago at night, which, which I had to do not too long ago, it's, it's such a, a wild thing because it's dark, 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 a little bit there, a little bit there, and then all of a sudden there's just as far as the eye can see, there's, there's light. Um, London was the largest city in the world at the time of World War II. Uh, there were 8 million people living in London, which is about the metro population of the Chicago area. I think it's about 9 million. But so imagine the lights of Chicago, as expansive as that is, flying over it, just totally being gone. Nothing. Can't see a thing. Totally black. It, it, the, the concept of, of darkness and light is, is one of the most common imageries in, in Scripture and, and, and any kind of literature. And so I, I think it's because we have this internal need for, for light. Um, we don't do well in the darkness. But what's interesting is humans have no ability to generate light on their own. It's not something that occurs from us. We can't do it. It's got to come from another source. Jesus will tell us this morning that he is the light of the world. What does that mean for us? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? That's our question uh, as we start our time together this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you use this time? Would you guide us in your word? Would you shine your light in the dark places of our minds, in the dark places of our hearts? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage for this morning is John chapter 8. We're going to read verses 12 through 20. We are in a series, so we started it last week, of, of these, these seven great I am statements in the book of John that Jesus makes. And he's going to equate himself to divinity. He uses this, this phrase that makes clear to all who hear. He's saying, I am that I am. I am God. And so he's going to do that again for us this morning in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, who is your, or where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So let me fill in just a couple of quick details about John chapter 8. Last week we were in John 6, and if you remember, he, Jesus is going to feed the 5,000, and they keep demanding miracles from him, and he confronts them that they're just chasing the temporary instead of him. He, they just want food. They don't want Jesus. But he's going to discuss how he is the fulfillment, how he is better than the manna that the Israelites received during the time of the Exodus. 
He was better than, than the manna in, in Exodus. And, and then when we get to chapter 7, he's going to talk about how he is like the water that came from the rock. Um, that also in the Exodus story, if you remember that the, the Israelites needed water and, and <clears throat> God commanded Moses and they struck, there was this rock and it split and, and water came out. And Jesus says, look, I'm better than that. I'm, I'm like that water, but I'm better. He says that living water will flow from whoever believes in him. And so we think that chapter 7 and chapter 8 take place during a, a time called, uh, a Jewish celebration called the Feast of Booths. Some people call it the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and some people call the Feast of Booths an eight-day camping trip. It was, it was kind of cool. So the, the Jews would make these temporary shelters uh, out of sticks and branches and stuff. They'd go out in the desert and make these little, these little tents, if you will. And uh, it, it was about remembering how their fathers had lived in the desert during the time of the Exodus. It was a tremendous celebration. It was mo- kind of the most joyous occasion in the Jewish calendar. And, and in, in the festival of booths, there was this tradition that they would hang these giant bowls, these chandeliers that were just huge, filled with oil. And, and they would light them uh, towards the end of the Feast of Booths. And, and, and they, there's stories about how brilliant everything was, that the, the light of the, from these four chandeliers was just almost blinding. It was so bright when, the, when they were finally, uh, finally lit. The image of these bowls was to remind the people of how the Lord provided a pillar of fire uh, for the Israelites as guidance through the wilderness. Remember, this is all kind of this Exodus story related. Here we are in the Feast of Booths. No coincidence, Jesus is going to use all of the same imagery here. And so maybe Jesus is pointing up at these, these giant bowls that are on fire that are so bright you couldn't really look at them. And he says the claim that he's going to say here for us in, in John 8. Or maybe it also tells us that it was in the morning. And if you're standing at the temple in the morning, the hill overlooks this giant valley to the east. And, and maybe he's just looking at the sunset. And, and he's going to make the claim that he makes here. Maybe that's what he's doing. But either way, we know that what he's doing is he's, he's pointing himself to the Exodus and showing how he is this, this great fulfillment of the pillar of fire of the Feast of Booths. And, and, and so chapter 8 is this kind of fiery debate that, where Jesus has with the Pharisees. But I really want to focus on the statement because the statement he makes is, is incredible. He, he's he's going to try to help the Jews connect the, the saving work of God with, with who he is. Uh, the saving work that they've seen through the Exodus story. He's going to say, look, it, it was me. It was always about me. And so Jesus has three statements in verse 12. And, and we're going to look at kind of each. We'll, we'll just take the, the statement apart and, and look at the three pieces here. And so I want you to hear them again. He says, I am the light of the world. And the second, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And then the third, he says, but they will have the light of life. Okay, so first, Jesus says that I am the light of the world. I, I find it interesting that the first words that come from God are in Genesis. And they are, let there be light. Let there be light. And, and, and you probably already know this, but I am no scientist it's not my world. I, I took my college degree. I tried to stay. I went the way that I did to take as few math and science classes as I possibly could. So 
just get that out in the open right now. I'm no scientist. But I do know that there is no such thing as a force, as an entity of darkness. Darkness is not a thing, as millennials would say. It's not a thing. There's no thing as darkness. What is it? It's the absence of light. Yeah, you guys are smart and you know that. Darkness is just where there ever, wherever there is no light. It's the default, but, there's, but light is the thing. That's what a, a thing is. Darkness is no thing. And so I find it interesting. Jesus is claiming that he is the light of the world. And, and we know from places like John chapter 1 and Colossians 1 that Jesus is actually the one who created the world. He and his Father were there, obviously, with the Holy Spirit. The Trinity was there. It says that Jesus is the one who did the creating. Jesus is the one who brought physical light to the universe. He brought it. There's, there's so much to this, isn't there? Did, did you know that there is a speed of darkness? Even though it's not a thing, it's got a speed. And that speed is basically, whenever the light turns off, darkness travels at that same speed. And I'm not going to get into all of that. But the speed of darkness is the speed of the absence of light, which is the same as the speed of light. Because there is no light, there is a speed of darkness. So what happens when the earth when it is left on its own. It's darkness. It's darkness. And darkness happens in a hurry. Right? This is the story of the Bible. If you've read Genesis, you know darkness happens in a hurry. Murder and all kinds of weird stories take place in Genesis when humans start doing their own thing. But whenever the people encounter God, there is light. There is light in, in the encounters with God. People, darkness. God, light. Remember when God uh, was on the mountain and Moses got to encounter just part of him, just part of his glory? What happens when he comes down to the people? If you remember, he's, he's shining so bright that the others can't even look at him. They said, we've got to create a veil because we can't even look at you, Moses, because you have seen just a, a minuscule piece of the glory of God. You've encountered the light, and we can't have anything to do with it. David recognizes this in Psalm 27. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? But everywhere else in Scripture, wherever there is an absence of Christ's light, there's nothing but darkness. And, and that's the Old Testament. The people are in darkness, and we read that in, in our Isaiah passage. There's this great darkness, but light is going to come, and it's the promise. We read that same passage uh, at Christmas time as Christ is coming into the world, the Messiah is coming. The people walking in darkness, they're going to see this great light, and the, that light is, the, is Jesus. And so we finally get to the Gospels, and, and Christ is here on the earth. And John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this is a really important point we need to understand. When, when, when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, this is the idea that he's referring to. Light is life. You can put an equal sign there. Light is life. Without light, there is no life. Darkness is the absence of life. And so for those who want life, 
There must be Jesus. There is a need for Christ. Okay, so second, Jesus is going to say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. And, and so you kind of go, well, logically, of course, right? Since Jesus is light, it would make sense that logically that if you want to, you know, if you're going to be with him, you're going to be in light. But let me just mention a few things here. First, the word follows there is an interesting word. And it's an important statement. Jesus uses this word in such a way that it, we know it was an intentional word. In the, in the, the, for you English people, the tense that he uses is kind of unique. And it's telling us on purpose. It's an active word. It's an active, on purpose, ongoing, keep on doing kind of a word. We could just say, whoever keeps on following me will not walk in darkness. That, that might be a good translation if you like it. It's ongoing. And the, and the point is this. Jesus is not seeking converts. Jesus is not seeking converts. That's not what he wants. He doesn't want converts. He wants disciples. Whoever keeps on following me. That's what Jesus is looking for. You see, there are, there are plenty of people who will just say consent to the idea that there is a Savior, that, that people need a Savior, and that Jesus died for sins. There's lots of people that are okay with all these ideas. But there are, are, are far less people who recognize that, that, that consent to him means following him. Our lives then are spent as a disciple, daily walking with him. Doing what he did, avoiding what he said to avoid. That's what it means to keep on following him. And so every day we decide, hey, I, this morning I need Jesus and I need to follow him. I'm going to keep on following him. That's what Jesus is talking about. The ones who walk in the light and not in the darkness say, I need him. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to keep on following him. And so when Jesus is talking about the darkness here, he is he's talking about sin and death. Sin and death are the main ideas that we're, we're, we're looking at here as, as Jesus talks about darkness. It's the opposite of himself, right? Sin and death, that's the opposite of Jesus. And, and I, I, I point this out because I think I want to make sure that, that um, we, we need to recognize what Jesus is not saying here, what he's not saying. Darkness here doesn't mean trouble or pain. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus makes no promise that we won't through, walk through some type of darkness, as we want to call it, that's dealing with trouble and pain. I, I have no doubt that all of you could, could tell me about your experiences in, in, in your own version of the valley of the shadow of death. Right? We are told that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You and I will be there. You and I will be there. But if you know Psalm 23, the promise isn't that we won't walk through it, but what? He's with us. He won't leave us in that place, in, the, in that place of trouble and pain and fear and, and all of the stuff that we have to deal with. Jesus will be there with his rod and his staff to comfort us, to guide us, to see us 
through. And that is why we don't have to fear, is because his presence is, is with us in those kinds of dark places. And so finally, Jesus says they're not going to walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life. So think again how the Israelites followed God this, as the pillar of fire through the wilderness. Right? This is the imagery that Jesus is trying to use and trying to help us. Wherever the light led them, that's where they were supposed to go. They followed the light. When the pillar of light would stop, the Israelites would stop. When it moved ahead, they would follow again. And we don't have that kind of pillar of fire anymore. But we do have the promise of Jesus, that he is the light of the world. And so I guess if you've been looking for the so what about all this, maybe here it is for this passage. We have God's light in Christ. And we're told to follow him. And so I want you to hear what it says in, in, in John 12. He says, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Believing in Christ transforms you into a, a son or a daughter of light. We, we, we get plugged in, if you will, into him by faith. He, become, he is the light, and he, and he helps us be a part of that. We become sons and daughters of light. It becomes our identity. <clears throat> and Paul says in Ephesians 5, 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This identity of light becomes us. We become children of light. So if, if Christ has has awoken us and, 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 and brought us out of the darkness, then that means we're supposed to act like it. We're supposed to be children of light. If you are one with Christ, then the command rings out, walk as children of the light. Actively following Christ. But that walking doesn't save us. It's, it's not the saving. It's not what it does. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by Jesus. But we walk as children of light because, because of obedience, because we become what he is. He's making us into children of light. And if we do that, then the world starts to take notice. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.14 that we are the light of the world. And, and we, don't, we don't produce it, right? We know that. We don't, we're not the product. I mean, we don't produce that, that light. We are only reflectors, if you will, of the light of Christ. We are the light of the world, meaning he shines his light onto us. And then we let that light shine through us so the world can see. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's what Jesus has in mind for his people. And so um, I'll finish with my favorite, one of, one of my favorite verses, which is First uh, Peter 2, 9. It says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. He's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If Christ has given us his light and he has made us sons and daughters of light, then the call is to let our light shine.
Let's pray. Father, you have called us out of ourselves because of ourselves, all we produce is darkness. Rebellion and sin and death. Because you loved us, you've called us out of that. You've brought us to Jesus, who is the light of the world. God, help us to know that, help us to experience that, help us to live that out as true. Our identity is no longer children of darkness, but children of the light. That means your presence is with us, so we don't have to be afraid. Instead, we can shine, we can live as children of light to the world who are desperate, desperate to have hope, to have life. May we show Jesus. Father, help us. In Christ's name, amen.